Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Strange Familiars. If you've seen a ghost, we want to hear your story. If you've seen Bigfoot, we want to hear your story. If you've seen a UFO, strange lights in the woods, a flannel man, someone dressed in a bunny suit in a weird situation outside of Easter, we want to hear your stories. You can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. Just a note, please be patient with me with email. I'm a one-man show all the way around. Everything you hear on this show, everything you see representing the show as far as graphics and artwork and the logo, it's done by me. All the editing, it's done by me. And I answer all the email, so it tends to get very, very backed up. Maybe someday I can have an assistant, but for now it's just me. So please be patient with me. I do try to answer every email. Some do slip through the cracks. 
and I never mind a reminder on that. If you are not on the Strange Familiars Gathering group, I am making special Alba Twitch shirts for this year's Alba Twitch Day. It's the same design that I did for the official Alba Twitch Day Festival t-shirts, which will be on black. I know not everybody can make it to Alba Twitch Day. That's October 12th this year in Columbia, Pennsylvania. If you can't make it and you still want one of my t-shirt designs, get in touch. I'm doing a limited edition on dark brown shirts. You can also get them on black. Those are $17 plus postage. Extended sizes are extra. If you want one of these Alba Twitch t-shirts, you'll have to get in touch soon. I need the orders finalized by this Friday, September the 13th, 2019. I'll put a post up on strangefamiliars.com that shows what the t-shirts look like and how to get in touch with me. So we've got three stories tonight. We've got two flannel man stories. One has a black dog in it as well. And then we have a story of a haunted property from Nicaragua. We're going to start off with Dylan, who tells a story of Flannel Man and an accompanying black dog that was seen not just by him, but by multiple members of his family. Okay, so tonight we're talking with Dylan, who, along with members of his family, has had a series of encounters with Flannel Man and black dogs now do you or do the members of your family do you see them at the same time or do you see them separately no it's all been separate occasions okay and is this all happening in the same area yes okay you can be as general or as specific as you want but about where in the country is this we lived uh, right outside of south chicago illinois right in the suburbs of burbank And had this been something that your family was seeing before you ever saw it? Yes. All right, this is very, very interesting. So I guess we'll start with yours. If you want to tell your story and uh, how you saw these two different things, and then we can kind of get into what you can tell us about your family as well and, and their sightings. Well, as far as my family goes, I might have to get back to you um, I don't really know much about what my family has seen for when they do talk about it they tend to get so emotional that <clears throat> the stories don't go very far in depth so well that's understandable have to, I'd have to get more information from them which my mom is very excited to uh, tell her side of the story as well oh wow well that and get that'd, that'd and get awesome. the broad uh, from everybody else as well but I can get back to you on that sure. um, as far as as far as my story goes um, it started when I was an infant, actually, which is kind of weird to say that I would actually remember something uh, so young. But we lived at my grandma's house uh, in the suburbs of South Chicago. And from what I remember, it was me and my cousin. We were in our car seats in one of the rooms in the basement, which eventually became one of my rooms as we continued to live there. Um, But so me and her actually have the same exact memory, along with my aunt, Candy. We would be down there sleeping, and we had our baby monitors on, obviously, so they can hear us if we would start crying. So we both remember music playing from the baby monitor. And my aunt Candy 
as well as my other aunt and my mother would hear this music playing coming from the basement. So they would come check on us. And when they come down the stairs to come check on us, the music would stop. So they think, oh, okay, there's nothing wrong. We go back upstairs and the music would start playing again. As this kind of weirded them out, they tended to stop leaving us down there. That was my first memory of somewhat what I've heard from your stories about uh, the baby monitors and mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, as I got older, uh, maybe seven years old, I was into dinosaur books, so I would go to the library and buy big piles of dinosaur books. I was downstairs in the same room uh, that the baby monitor occurrence, just you know, minding my own business, reading my books, and one of my best friends had a black German Shepherd mix of the sorts, and I thought it was their dog. I see this dog come across my doorway, and I go, baby, what are you doing here? Her name was Baby. And when she looked at me, the side of her face was pretty much zombified, I guess you can call it. It was not her. So I go, baby, what's wrong? And I get up to go look at her, and she passed the doorway. When I came out the doorway, she was gone. So I continued to look down there for her. Obviously, she was gone. It was a very small space with an ice chest in it. But I continued to look around, and I opened the freezer. And at this point, I can't recall if I was dreaming or not. I very vividly remember I wasn't. But I opened up the, the ice chest, and there was just bags of... You know, maybe my brain just wanted to believe something else. It could have been frozen chicken or, or anything, but my brain said it was body parts, and I, I flipped. I absolutely flipped. Uh, like, ran upstairs. like human body parts. Correct, yeah. So I ran upstairs. I told my mom... And, you know, we continued to investigate, and I, there was nothing there. I can't recall why I thought there was body parts, but from my recollection, from what I remember, there was body parts. Whenever I tell the story to people and I, I, I tell them that part, I, I usually tear up, not in fear, but in the realness of what I saw. Mm-hmm. From there forward, um, I didn't really have much sightings or anything like that. However, every now and then, we would hear these loud footsteps coming up the stairway. But nobody was ever there. And one day, those footsteps and the dogs are just relentlessly barking at the bottom. They were at the top of the stairs barking down as if somebody was coming up the stairs. But nobody was ever there. From then on, I mean, my parents and my aunts, they have more to that. But I was so young, I don't really have much recollection. Right. However, one day I decided to go downstairs for whatever reason. And at the bottom of the stairs, there was a pantry with a door. And there he was the flannel man that you like to describe. He was standing with his overalls, plaid shirt, semi-long beard, just white, and he was standing there with this black dog. 
However, I wasn't scared of him at that point. I walked right past him. And from then on, I decided not to go into the basement. I wasn't scared <laughs> of him or anything like that. But from the dogs barking and then from seeing his dog with, you know, the face and the body parts that I presumed to see, I was completely finished with that basement. So the dog you saw him with was the same dog you had seen previously? Yes. <laughs> Was there, I know you said it looked zombified in the face, so was it like kind of rotten or something? Like like it was kind of rotten away or? Yeah, right. Anything strange about the eyes or anything? Not so much, no. It just, it looked deteriorated as if, I don't know if you ever played Resident Evil, but it looked like one of those dogs <laughs> in a way. No. It was scary. It was a scary looking dog. But the second time I seen the dog... It was not zombified that way, it, or, you know, like, the flesh was eating away or anything like that. He was just a regular dog standing next to this man. And it was more just like he had lived there, or he was, I don't know what he was doing there. They would just stand there, and they were there. And as far as I know, from, like, my mother's partial experience that I know of, there was something to do with the other bedroom that maybe he stayed in that bedroom or something of the sort, but they didn't like that room either. They they would not go in that room. They decided to, to empty the room and they just left it empty, shut the door and never went back in that room. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you saw him in the basement. Were you coming down the stairs and saw him? Right, yeah. And just decided to go ahead and walk by him. Right, because my bedroom, if you when you come down the stairs, um, like your, the other stories I've heard, it was like an L-shaped basement where you would come down, there was the square, pretty much, room, and then a hallway leading to the back, I would say, like, laundry room, where that chest was that I had opened. How close did you have to come to him um fairly close i'd have to say at least three <laughs> at least four four feet you know wow did it look real did it look solid you know like like just a regular human at this point like didn't look like an apple yeah definitely but he had you know like like he was faded um definitely there but i couldn't see through him mm-hmm did you know about how tall he was? I know you were a kid at the time, so everybody looks tall, but could you make a guess? From my imagination, from what I could perceive him as, I'd say he was around six foot. He was fairly tall. And the dog was an older dog, not old as in 10 years old, but, you know, a good, like, maybe five-year-old dog. Black. Uh, black as night. Mm-hmm. So and I know you said you 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 know you don't have the details of your family's accounts, but they would see the dog and the flannel man sometimes together, sometimes separately, or always separately. Or I vaguely remember it was normally together, but I believe it was both separately and together. 
and the footsteps they they all heard and I, I remember being with my parents and my grandmother everybody in the house would hear these footsteps coming up the stairs and the dogs barking relentlessly and my uncle being you know the big macho man I'm gonna go check and nothing there so your bedroom was downstairs yes am I yeah so yes. how, how did you make yourself keep going down there you know what I mean as a kid I think I think I might have had some trouble after seeing the especially after seeing the, the guy and the dog there um you know I don't know because for whatever reason even though the dog the first time I saw the dog and he was presumably a dead dog walking I wasn't scared there was nothing about them that frightened me um I mean I guess in a way it, it made me nervous but I never felt like I, they were going to attack me or come at me mm-hmm. in any, any kind of way. They were just there, and I was kind of in their space. Mm-hmm. Did they react in any way when you walked past them? They just stared. You know, the, their faces definitely followed me because I couldn't keep, I couldn't take my eyes off of them. Obviously, I didn't want them, my back turned to them. But, yeah, and like your other stories that I've heard, you know, we had the chain link fences about, you know, five feet high, a big gate, locked doors, and the dogs. So if anybody was coming in and out, obviously somebody would have known or or seen, for that matter. Somebody was always home at that point in my life Mm -hmm. because we were children. But, yeah, it's just so relatable that it's so creepy to me. It's amazing to me. First of all, all these accounts in general, but that flannel man with the black dog is incredible. So all of your family's encounters are centered around this house, this one property. Yes. Because we all lived there together at one point. But once we moved, I never had another encounter with him. It was only at that house. Yeah, that's very interesting. So it's kind of acting like a ghost in this case. Right. But the fact that so many other people have seen, you know, something of the same or similar description is just really, really interesting to me. Right. And he, you know, he came off as sort of a lumberjack kind of worker because, I mean, in the suburbs of Chicago, you wouldn't really think, oh, there's a bunch of people cutting trees down. But at that time, I mean, early or late 90s, I, I should say, and in early 90s, it was like a 10 year span that we encountered him there were people cutting trees down in that area so i don't know if it if it could have been somebody living there and it was a ghost or maybe just there is a flannel man out there wandering around yeah and like one of these whatever they are i don't know if they're watchers or or what their purpose is man those are awesome stories if you can get your family stories or if any of them want to come on and, and tell their stories you know the invitation's open Oh, yeah, absolutely. I already gave my mother your information. I'm hoping she'll contact you. Um, if not, I will definitely return to you with more from uh, what she knows. My older brother has uh, quite a vivid memory of it as well. That every every time we would talk about this at like family dinners, uh, you know, holidays when we would get together, we would all literally start tearing and like. kind of get goosebumps by how real it it was and how we all saw the same exact thing and wow 
That is incredible. Do you remember anything about the music you said was playing? Do you remember anything at all about it? It would change, actually, now that I think it. it was like classical, kind of classical, classical rock, softer music, not very loud or disturbing music to where, I mean, we were babies. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't anything that made us cry. We just heard it and it didn't really affect us, but it came through the monitor and our parents were able to hear it. And your cousin has the same memory. Correct, yes. Yeah, so you were you were roughly the same age? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. That's the problem with all this stuff. I don't have any real answers for anybody, but yeah. uh, I love these stories. It's really incredible. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to get more out of this for you because it, it really touches us when we talk about it, and it, it all kind of comes together. Yeah, that's really, really amazing. I definitely look forward to that. Dylan, thanks for sharing your story. Absolutely, and I'll talk to you soon. And now we'll go to Eddie, who has a story of Flannel Man coming into his room one night. Tonight we are talking with Eddie, who has a Flannel Man story for us. Go ahead and, and walk us into it. What'd you see? All right. Well, I didn't really prepare this or anything. And I've uh, you know never done an interview, so I'm just going to recall to the best of my ability. Uh, sure. Yeah. So basically, the way that it started out was, uh, you know, I lived in a an old apartment building. It was a three-story apartment building growing up. I was living with my grandparents at the time. And the way that my room was set up, uh, if you entered the room, you know, it kind of squeaked. You'd hear the floor kind of, mm-hmm. you know, because it was an old home. There was different kind of spots on the floor you know that would creak like that so hearing that noise i knew that you know that meant somebody was standing in my doorway so i always had a kind of had like a fear when i was uh laying in bed of like facing against the wall and kind of looking away from the doorway but you know a lot of times when you shift your body over you start to feel more comfortable so you know, most of the time I would give in to that urge anyway, and I'd roll over and face the the wall. So this particular night, I rolled over and I faced the wall. I was laying there for quite a while, trying to fall asleep, and then suddenly I heard the that trademark creak on the floor. So I rolled over like fairly quickly, just thinking that it was my grandmother who would typically, you know, come in stand in my doorway and kind of just check on me. But as I rolled over, you know, what I saw instantly just did not seem like it was my grandmother. Like it wasn't like a hundred percent where I was like, Oh my God, that's not my grandmother. But I was kind of 50, 50, like, what is that? And it wasn't reacting the way that my grandma did. And the more I looked at it, the more it just seemed to really put like a lot of fear into me. And you know, I can't a hundred percent make out like everything about it, but I remember the legs were like a darker color. Like it seemed like they had like dark pants on or something, maybe some boots. And I don't remember a color or anything, but I always remember thinking that it was like somewhat of like a flannel kind of 
shirt on, but like a darker color. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it was flannel or whatnot, but, uh, you know, and I couldn't really see the face. It was kind of just starting at the head. It was very dark and then it got lighter as you went down to the feet, but it was still very dark. And when I rolled over and saw it, I basically just froze. Like I was in complete fear, you know, it was similar to sleep paralysis, but you know, it didn't feel like sleep paralysis. It wasn't like I couldn't move. Although I at the moment I wasn't trying to, I was just trying to stay as still as possible. You know, I'm just sitting there looking at it like, you know, what is going on? And at this point, I'm just completely terrified. At this point, I'm like, that's not my grandmother. I was just like, kind of feeling like I was going to (laughs) die. I didn't know what to think. So I did all that I could do. And I basically just kind of slowly rolled back over and faced against the wall and was just basically like praying and hoping that it would just go away. And I just stayed there kind of looking at the wall. I have no idea how much time went past, but it seemed like quite a while. And then I remember hearing the creaking floor again and then thinking in my head, well, either this thing has entered my room further and is probably going to kill me or it's gone away. And I don't think the entire night I could like, muster up the courage to turn back over and look i just stared at the wall for the rest of the night eventually fell asleep the next day i remember i had gone up to my grandmother and i said oh hey uh did you come into my room last night and take a look at me and she was like no and i was like all right and then i think it was a few days after that i was telling a friend about it and she could overhear me and then she goes oh yeah that was me but I was just like, yeah, I don't think that was her. You know, I feel like she could just tell how scared I was. Mm. And she wanted to kind of like soothe me. Right. About what year was this and about how old were you? I know I was less than 10. I was born in 85. So it was somewhere in the early 90s or maybe around 1990. This was in Somerville, Massachusetts. When you said, you know, you weren't sure if it's flannel, So did it have like a plaid or a check pattern in the shirt? I feel like it may have, but I really couldn't see it very clearly. It just seemed like it was the the kind of material. It was more than the pattern. It was more just the material looked like a thick material. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of associated that with flannel. And then it was kind of like, you know, growing older and, you know, you start to remember less and less, especially like small kind of details like that, like something that was so dark that it was hard for me to see, you know, as time went on, it just didn't really stick in my memory. And then when I heard about the flannel man, I was like, you know, this, some of the stories are like exact to like what happened to me. Like, I'm not sure about the the flannel particularly, but it like kind of triggered it in my head. Like I was like, I, I feel like it was. But regardless, I mean, there was like the, it was a heavy material. Yeah, it's, I, he certainly acts similarly if it's not, you know, one of these similar things. Did you ever see him again? No, I never saw him again. I, I did have sleep paralysis one time, but I don't think I really saw anything. I just, you know, felt completely helpless and I was trying to move and I couldn't move. And that was like more than 10 years after that. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, ever have any other strange experiences in that? Did you say it was an apartment? 
Yeah, it was a three-story apartment. Mm-hmm. Did you have it? I, I, yeah, I did actually. Uh, if the more I think about it, I could probably think of a few, but uh, one that comes to my mind is we lived on the second floor, and on the third floor, my cousin lived with his mother. And I remember one night trying to sleep. It was really late at night, and I kept hearing like you know footsteps and floor creaking and all kinds of commotion. You know pretty calm type of commotion but like you know definite movement coming from the upstairs and it was much later than you know i had ever heard them be awake so i had asked my grandmother the next day what was uh you know my cousin and my aunt doing up so late last night and she was just like oh they're on vacation they're not even home Mm. so that kind of freaked me out (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's kind of unrelated but uh i remember I remember them telling me a story that uh, back in the day, they used to never really lock the doors. You know, this is in the in the city, but, you know, I guess just back in the day, they never used to lock the door. They just felt so safe until one day they woke up and there was a, a drunken sailor just sleeping on the couch in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it sometimes makes me think like, you know, if it had anything to do with that, you know, like relating to, you know, somebody just kind of walking in the house, you know, but it's like this guy didn't look anything like a sailor whatsoever, but I can't help but cross the two stories and wonder if they have something in common. Sure. Yeah. Have you at any time in your life before or since had an encounter in waking life or in dreams with a, what seemed to be a strange or supernatural or somehow just weird black dog? No. And you already answered my sleep paralysis question. So <laughs> that's the other one on the checklist for Flannel Man. Wow. That's, yeah. pretty, neat. that's pretty neat. Yeah, thanks, man. It's kind of like since I was a child around that age, probably before the age of 13, I feel like I've never since had any type of real kind of experience like that. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, I, I, I mean, I could probably go on for like days of just weird stuff that would happen, but... Some of it, like, I don't know if it's in my head or, you know, what it was. The other thing about the early 90s is that's when I would say probably the majority of these Flannel Man accounts come from. I don't know what it was. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, I don't know what the deal is with with that time period. I mean, I still get them, and I get them from, from a bunch of different times. I get modern ones as well, but probably the bulk of the reports I've gotten have been in that early, mid 90s period. The other two things that I can think of, you know, I, I'm not going to get like too much into them, but basically most of these things that I had, uh, I, I've had strange things like that, for example, you know, where it's kind of like you're in your room, you know, it's like you're going to sleep and it's almost like your dream merges with reality. And, you know, it's like, I see my room exactly how it is. It's not like a dream room where it's like slightly bigger or slightly different. It's like, the type of thing where everything is exactly the way that it really is in reality. But, you know, yet I'm seeing these crazy things that I know can't really be there. Like one of them was just like a, like I saw like a worm, like move really fast under my bed and, you know, there was nothing there. One night I had seen the shadows of some of my action figures kind of like marching against the wall with candlelight. And it was just like, you know, I feel like I know they were dreams, but 
it was my room. Like there was nothing different about my room. So it's like, I don't know if I woke up and was like in a half dream state and was like seeing what I'm seeing, but mm-hmm. hallucinating at the same time. Yeah. The majority of stuff was all in that room. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, who knows if it's, if it's tied to this guy or not, or if it was just a completely separate right. event. Yeah. Yeah. But well, it was just so, uh, you know, shocking to me when I heard such, you know, spot on descriptions of like the same exact thing. That's why I was like, you know, I have to tell somebody about this. Not that I haven't told, you know, hundreds of people in my life, but <laughs> yeah. Know. Well, Hey, I'm, I'm so glad for the accounts. I'm like I said, I'm trying to collect them all. I guess flannel man's my, yeah. it's awesome to hear all these different ones. I mean, some of them are more dramatic than others, but they all have so much yeah. in common that it just makes me think, like I said, I don't think it's the same guy, but wh- whoever right. the, these things are, these entities, that they seem to follow a certain pattern. Right. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you. I want to thank our patrons. Our patrons make Strange Familiars possible. We could not bring you the content that we do without our patrons. If you'd like to help us continue to make Strange Familiars, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. For just $3 a month, you can get extra episodes of Strange Familiars. We do at least one full extra episode for our patrons every month. We try to give other bonuses and content besides. We just started a Discord server for our patrons. It's a place to interact with other listeners and with the host of Strange Familiars. You can check out all the levels of support at Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a recurring subscription like Patreon, you can always help us with a one-time donation. Go to strangefamiliars.com, and in the show notes you'll see a paypal.me link. Another way everyone can help is by liking and subscribing to the podcast wherever you're listening, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever, and leaving us those nice five-star reviews. They really help get the podcast in front of other potential listeners. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, Did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? 
We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to trylifemd.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. And now we're going to talk with Christiane, who tells a story of a haunted house in Nicaragua. It's a very interesting property with a very interesting history. And then we get into some Nicaraguan folklore as well. So we're talking with Christiane, who has Mm. some stories of a haunted house, but not in America. If you want to just kind of take it away, give us the the groundwork, and I'll ask questions as we go. Okay. I'm actually like pulling up the message that I sent you, because I'm trying to get everything in order. So basically, the house that I grew up in, uh, I was born in the U.S., my family moved back when I was very young, around seven or eight years old, and we lived with uh, my grandparents, my mother's parents, in a small town in the mountains of Nicaragua. The house itself is, oddly enough for a haunted house, I guess, it's not very old at all. It's on a hill overlooking a small mountain town, and the house itself was built in the 70s, I want to say. So that's relevant. The house was taken over twice uh, without going into, I guess, a history lesson about Nicaragua. Um, <laughs> there was a war, there was a revolution in the 80s, and a long period of violence before that. Basically, it was there was a U.S.-backed dictatorship, the Somoza dynasty, and the FSLN also, y'all would know them as Sandinistas, they uh, overthrew it. And the little town where my mom's family is from saw a lot of violence in the 70s and 80s. So the house was taken over once by the National Guard, which was the dictatorship's army, and... After that, after the revolution, it was taken over by the Sandinistas because it it's strategically a really good place. Like it's on a, a mountain that overlooks the town, and you can see very, very clearly uh, into the whole town. And the acoustics are kind of strange, so you can hear things too. Like it'll it'll be like half a kilometer away from the town, and you can hear conversations sometimes down wow. there if the wind is right. It's really weird. So, anyway, uh, that house is big, it's beautiful, and a lot of it is just really standard, like, haunted house stuff. Before you get into that, can I ask just a couple questions? So when you say taken over, do they run your family out at that point? Yes, they did. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I should have specified that. So my grandfather was, we're not a very lucky family. (laughs) He was thrown into jail twice by the two different regimes. So when the revolution happened, I think if I get my family history straight, he was put in jail 
for supporting the Sandinistas. And my grandmother left, and she sent her kids uh, out of the country. She sent them actually to the United States. So it was each time that it was uh, taken over was because my grandfather was in jail, and they used it, whichever army used it as like a headquarter of sorts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my family was just gone. Now you said your family still have, owns this house, right? Yes, they do. They returned. I guess it was given back to. I don't know the year for sure, but it was given back to them, and they've lived in it ever since. They I, still live there today. I, I, haunted house stories aside, that's a super interesting history of you know. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of both my mom and dad's family have. I mean, and I guess this is pretty. To me, it wasn't anything weird because everyone in Nicaragua has war stories. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone had a family member who was on one side or another. But yeah, I guess thinking about it now, it is really interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess if people are displaced all around you, maybe being displaced isn't so unusual. But yeah. uh, we've been lucky enough where we live here here in America that we, you know we don't experience that too often. So it, it's a pretty amazing story, really. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's... A pretty amazing house, too. I wish I had photos to show. It's really, really beautiful. A lot of it is really 70s, but it's got a huge garden. We had all kinds of wild animals. We had deer and macaws, and I even had a little baby margay that one of the workers on my grandpa's farm found. They're kind of like an ocelot. They're just tiny. (laughs) And someone found it. Like I think its mother had died, and unfortunately, a little baby margay didn't make it sad but yeah no it's a big beautiful house and it has all the like standard haunted house tropes going on the whole house feels kind of eerie at times like it's you feel like you're being watched there are cold spots in some parts of it and and it's a weird thing uh when i wrote to you this whole story i checked in with some of my family members to you know, confirm some things because I lived there really young and, you know, sometimes you don't know if you're remembering something or, I don't know, childhood imagination. But sure, yeah. I, I checked in with my sister and cousins and they all, and also to like get some of their experiences. And everyone around my age, like, agrees with me. Like, it was a really scary place. Uh, my mom and grandma don't, they say they've never experienced anything. My grandfather has, he would never say. But yeah, there's a couple of specific things that I actually just went over recently with my sister. There uh, Objects moved around, and it's the only time that I ever really saw anything. like. I, I've had other, like I guess, paranormal experiences since, but I've never seen something quite like it. I remember... Uh, objects being thrown. In particular, the the one that really stands out to me was a hair tie. And that's because both my sister and I could confirm it, which is rare because she doesn't really believe in ghosts that much. We were playing one day as kids. She sets down her hair tie, can't find it, we're getting ready to leave the room, and I all of a sudden I see it in the corner of the room, like above her head, and it's suspended there for just a second, and then immediately like shoots at her, 
and hits her in the face. And I remember just she and I just bolted out of that room. Wow. Like, and, and for whatever reason, never talked about it until recently. Huh. Yeah. And she's a very down-to-earth kind of person, which makes it all the more kind of wild that she confirmed that that happened. And there's a couple things I saw, much I remember. The first one is the one that just absolutely terrified me as a kid. I remember it was late at night. So like a lot of bigger houses in Nicaragua do, it's built really open. And so there's like a open skylight and a little garden inside, kind of like a little courtyard. It's really pretty with the bedroom windows that look out to it. But the bedroom windows were a textured glass, so you really couldn't see much through. Like, you could see shapes, but not any details unless you open them. And one night, I must have been under 10 years old. I was unable to sleep for whatever reason, and you start getting that eerie feeling of being watched. And in my head, I think I, I like bolted and ran to my mom's room just because the feeling was so bad, um, you know, just paralyzing fear where you can't really do anything. And I want to say that I managed to, like, get up and run to my mom's room, but my sister says that I never did. I remember feeling that and looking outside, like, what I could see of uh, the corridor outside my bedroom and it was pitch dark. It was the middle of the night. All the lights were off. So I don't know what I was expecting to see. And then I saw a humanoid shape that's... Because I couldn't really see details through that, I just know that it was about the same size and shape of a person. But it, it must have been really light-colored or emitting some kind of light in order for me to have noticed it in the dark. And it came, walked, or moved. I don't even remember really how it was moving. But moved past me, past the bedroom, uh, turned a corner, and then I couldn't see it anymore. And I'm laying there in bed, like, terrified, trying to figure out what I just saw. And trying to calm myself down, thinking, well, whatever it is, it's over, it's gone. And that's when... I hear the sound of someone sweeping their hands against the iron bars of the window. Oh. Almost like it was messing with me, yeah. It's like just, you know, just repeating myself, like, it's gone, it's gone, it's fine. And then that sound, and it's loud, and I wonder how no one else woke up. The iron bars were outside. On the window, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that was rough, and... I remember trying to wake up my sister, and she wouldn't wake up. Mm-hmm. Which, I think that scared me more than anything. I mean, that's a thing. You know, that, that's happened to people in UFO sightings and Bigfoot sightings and ghost stuff, too. Yeah. I didn't know that was a common thing um, until I started a couple years ago when I started listening to podcasts like yours and hearing uh, witness accounts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost like, uh, in a way, like, this experience is for you, you know? For, yeah. For whatever reason, bad or good, it's like, this is for you. This isn't for them. So it's, Yeah. Yeah. That does not make me comfortable. It's really 
thinking about it having like a human-like intelligence is really unnerving. Oh yeah. So when you heard the sound at the window, did you look or did you just not even look? You just heard the sound and I'm not looking. I just heard it and I think I closed my eyes, but honestly, even if I, I, I didn't really see anything. Again, it was dark and the, the window is, um, the glass was textured so you couldn't really distinguish detail, but mm-hmm. because it was dark, I would have, if, if it had come back around, I would have seen it. Like, I would have had to seen it, have seen it. Mm-hmm. And that was unnerving, but even more so. So we had uh, maids who worked there in the house. Sometimes, because the walk was long, and some girls were from out of town, sometimes they would stay the night. And I remember, like, a year or two later, telling one of them. And the two women just looked at each other. I mean, um, and the one girl was just like, well... We didn't want to tell you anything. We didn't want to tell you or your sister anything because we, me and my sister, are both fairly young. They didn't want to scare us, but there had been nights like when they had to stay there, when they stayed late and stay, end up staying the night there, that they would see a really similar thing. And the path that they say that it took was exactly the same path that I saw it take. Oh wow! Yeah, leaving my grandfather's office going around the bedrooms and then going out around the front door. So I only saw part of that path, but it's, they said they, they'd seen the exact same thing, like a white figure, not really distinguishable, just human-shaped and human-sized. So that wasn't great to hear. Yeah, uh, yeah it's almost worse when someone else confirms it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm like, oh, great. If I could have convinced myself it was my imagination, I think that would have been better, but... Yeah, or a dream uh, or anything, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's also the thing, like, I I know for sure it wasn't a dream, because my... It it was too normal. Sorry, that's my cat. Um, It was too (laughs) normal. (laughs) It was really, really unsettling for a while. I asked everyone who lived in that house about these kind of things... And the overwhelming answer was, yeah, I've experienced something, whether it's a creepy feeling or seeing something or hearing something. My mom still, to this day, says no. But I do remember her saying to me later when I was an adult, telling me about a time that she hired a local carpenter to come and fix the doors of my closet. And he was up in my room and... He starts looking around and saying, this house is so familiar. This place is so familiar. And my mom's joking, and she doesn't believe in any any kind of paranormal thing whatsoever. And she just rolls her eyes and is like, please. Because even at that time, I was already telling her about ghosts and spooky stuff. And she just rolls her eyes and is like, please don't tell me someone got murdered in this room because my daughters sleep here. <laughs> and the guy, because it turns out like in the war, he had been in the house. Like, for one of the two armies. And he just looks at her and he's like, oh, well, then I won't tell you. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, there was that. So, it was after that period, after the war, that you would have seen what you saw then? Yes. Okay. Um, the okay. war was in the late 70s and 80s. And I lived in that house 
late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. So there was that. I would love to know more about the history of it, about what exactly happened there when it was taken over. But that's not a subject that my grandparents really ever want to talk about. And I understand. Oh, yeah. 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 I remember seeing a man, like a whole person. Like, I, I didn't even think twice about it. Because my grandfather was always doing, like, little repairs and projects. And he always had people he, wor- he worked with. And I remember just mining, like, in broad daylight, just seeing a man and then turning around and him being gone, which I had actually completely forgotten that one until I talked to my sister about it. For whatever reason, that one didn't scare me nearly as much as the thing I saw in the window, but also really unsettling. My cousins actually saw a pretty weird one in broad daylight in their house right next door. They said that they saw... A man, but pitch black. Not a black person, just completely devoid of light. Like, no color, no discernible details, just a man-shaped thing that was darker than anything else around that that they'd ever seen. Yeah, Um, now I've heard that description before, too. Like, you know, several times on the podcast from... Yeah, oh yeah, I've heard Bigfoot described that way. People have seen Bigfoot, they said it was blacker than black, and then other people have seen different entities at night that were, you know, darker than the night around them and so forth. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's very very similar description. Yeah, that's one I never saw, but they saw that in broad daylight early in the morning at like 7 out through their window, and it didn't seem to notice them. It just kept on walking. The whole entire man, like, that just wasn't there right after. That was, that was strange. So, and then there's another one that's kind of interesting, which is, I think, what I had written to you about was my friend Juan. Uh, The story that he told me, Juan Carlos was from the same little town that I'm from, and we we met completely unrelated. We met when we were both uh, adults in the capital, like I was living with my family in the capital city at that time. And we became friends, and, you know, over the course of the years, I, you just talk about it sometimes. I talked about the house I grew up in being haunted, and we talked about the town that we're from. And one night, I remember, I think we, we were just hanging out, like probably having a beer or something, and he just looks at me, and he's like, hey, remember you telling me about the, the house you grew up in being haunted? And we're like, yeah. Well, I think my family has something to do with it. I'm sorry. And that's a really weird thing to hear. Yeah, right? Yeah. So I finally got the whole story out of him. And basically, let me see if I can get this straight. What he told me was secondhand. This is uh, what he heard from his uncle. So this is, his uncle, back in the 80s, had been living outside of the country, and he finally came home, and he came home in the middle of the revolution, basically. So this was late 70s or early 80s. Juan's uncle just comes home to his, you know, town in shambles, and people, like, just things getting really violent, 
and the house that my grandparents lived in at that time was taken over by the National Guard, so Mossa's army. And what Juan told me was that at that point, they had put snipers on the balcony, on the little terrace balcony that overlooks the city, which, as I've said before, is just offers a really, really clear view of everything. So it would be the ideal place to put snipers. It doesn't surprise me. And Zamosa's National Guard was famous for cruelty. They murdered civilians indiscriminately. Uh, Somoza dropped, like, firebombed his own citizens in the capital. Mm. Um, yeah, they killed civilians without reason, uh, forced disappearances. So apparently they were just shooting at people. They were just shooting at civilians or whoever from the balcony of my grandparents' house. And when Juan's uncle came back, either his friends or people in the town or someone asked him if he could handle that. Because they knew, Juan, from what I understand, Juan's uncle was a really good shot and he had hunted a lot before. So, story I was told was that Juan's uncle took his rifle and he went and hid in somewhere for a long time, for almost a whole day, on the hillside. And what Juan told me is that at some point, when his uncle thought it was safe, he just shot and he took out all the snipers. Wow. Yeah. So I, I can't confirm that I really would like to. But, yeah. Yeah, if we talk about, you know, hauntings occurring in liminal spaces, I mean... That house seems to be this sort of uh, eye of the hurricane kind of for change and turmoil, you know? Yeah. It's changed hands a bunch of times. Your family is in and out of it. You know, these other groups are in and out of it. People may or may not have been killed, both in that case and if the handyman was right, you know, maybe inside as well. I hate to say this because it's still... I haven't been back for years, but it's still makes me uncomfortable to think about it. I am pretty much positive. Like, there's no way that it could have been in that conflict, like, inhabited it and not have died there. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Mm -hmm. um, I think my grandfather told me that they weren't... That for the longest time, I thought, in the creepiest room in the house, in the guest room, there's what I thought were bullet holes in a wall. I don't actually know if they are or not. Um, my mom claims they aren't. They don't have an exit pattern, I guess. I, I, but I wouldn't know. Mm -hmm, I right, don't right. really know what bullet holes look like. But it's really, really eerie. Last time I went back as an adult, uh, I was 22, and I knew I wouldn't be spending the night there. I don't like thinking about that. I know it's going to have to happen, but I don't like spending the night there. I have no desire to again. <laughs> You kind of went through a list of, of the things you saw, and you said, well, that's all I saw. Does that mean there were things you didn't see but heard at times? Yeah. Yeah, there's... And again, I always wondered if this was a paranormal thing or just some of the weird acoustics of that house. Because it was very bizarre. Um, in some rooms, you could be in a room next to someone and not hear anything going on. But sometimes you could hear someone talking at the far end of the garden from inside the house. 
So you really never knew for sure where anyone was just by hearing them. But I remember hearing a lot of whispers, a lot of like people talking just faint enough for me to not be able to make it out. Mm-hmm. And going back there as an adult, I didn't ever experience that again. And it's a huge house and it's always full of people. I have a really big family. But that and sometimes like the eerie, dead quiet where you wouldn't even hear crickets chirping. You wouldn't hear anything. Right, yeah, that and kind, that, the kind of silence that know. almost sucks all the other sound. Like it seems like it's sucking the sound away, you know, it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would happen and that would happen at like for brief periods of time. Like it would start and then end. And then just normal night sounds would happen. Um, and I've never really experienced anything like that. Nor do I want to. But, yeah, objects moving. Um, and it almost seemed sometimes playful, which makes me, you know, think of poltergeist activity and stuff like that rather than ghosts. But sometimes like, I remember I was telling my sister about a book I had been reading on folklore, like Nicaraguan folklore and... I don't know how to say it, which is actually an interesting subject. Some of, like, Nicaraguan folk legends and, like, spooky creatures are really, really interesting. But I remember telling her that about that the book I was reading and how scary it was. And I was specifically telling her about, like, uh, there's, there's a creature called the Segua, which is really similar to, like, Skinwalker kind of stuff or witches. Mm-hmm. And I was telling her about that and how much it scared me, and I was describing the part that scared me the most, about how I think their teeth are plantain leaves, and for whatever reason that image really scared me. And that's when a mirror just dropped off the wall, and it wasn't... It was something that was, like, bolted really firmly into place, never had moved, nothing had ever fallen off, and it just crashed, and didn't break. It just Hmm. came down, made a huge sound... Made me and her scream and jump and didn't break. But little things like that would happen at the moment that I was either talking about being scared or feeling scared. Then something would fall or move or rustle or break. Almost like something was doing it on purpose. Right. Did you notice times that were more active than others? You know, it's during certain ages. When you were at certain ages, or or did it seem to be fairly consistent, or just completely yeah, random? It, it didn't go on for a long time. It didn't go on heavily in my later teens, but it was mostly around the preteen years, which I know is really consistent with poltergeist stuff. Yes, it is, yeah. So between the ages of like 10 and 13, which at 13 is when I moved, me and my sister and mother moved to the capital. And how much older is your sister? Did you say she was um, older? She's only a year and a half older than I. Okay, so you guys are both right in that pocket, you know, around mm-hmm. the same time when this stuff is happening. That's very interesting. I'm not saying that's what it was, but it's just, yeah. it's an interesting detail. Right? And that's, again, like, I, there's so much of it that seemed like classic poltergeist, but there's also so much of it that was very classic haunting. Yeah, well, and... you wonder if you stack these things up. So you have this house that we were saying, you know, like we were saying, it's this liminal mm-hmm. kind of situation with this kind of dark stuff that happens there. 
and then you pile on you know the 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 girls at the right age for poltergeist activity and et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's, I would say it being at the base of a mountain is probably pretty significant too. And, uh, really, and, is that a thing? I mean, I don't know that it's a thing. It just seems important. Yeah. It seems like an important detail to me. You know, it's not on the mountain. It's not in the town. It's kind of, you know, again, it's that liminal thing where it's, it's kind of this in-between place. But, uh, I never really thought of it like that, but you're right. Yeah. And you just wonder if it's just this, you know, it had the right ingredients to, for a haunting or for a, you know, combo poltergeist haunting, whatever, whatever was going on, you know, you just wonder yeah. if it, that was just the right mix of ingredients for it to happen. I wonder sometimes about the scope, like what, what are the parameters of this? What are the limits of it? Cause my, like I said, my cousins, when they experienced that like blacker than black, like dark figure, they were next door. They were in their house right next door. Mm-hmm. And, other than that, they never experienced anything of that sort in their house because their houses were also quite new. Their house, sorry, the houses next door were quite new. Yeah, um, I'm not sure the the age of the house. I think it's kind of a trope mm-hmm. that houses have to be old to be haunted. Like the more I talk to people, and uh, I think Jeff Ritzman told me that apartments come out haunted more than houses. Because, again, it seems like there are these really liminal spaces where they got, you know, people moving in and out. Yeah, it's like it doesn't surprise me at all when you're like, well, it wasn't very old. That, to me, is not a surprising detail at all. I don't think it it matters. Yeah. I dread having to spend another night there, which probably won't happen for a little bit. But, uh, yeah, even going back there as an adult, like, I remember telling myself like using the one bathroom in the creepy guest room like telling myself like it's fine just use that bathroom it's the closest one to where you need to be use that bathroom you're an adult Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and the whole time i was in there and just the feeling when you know someone's watching you and yeah no couldn't do it i couldn't do it i ran out of there did you experience and, anything else when you went back as an adult, or ju- just the... no? No, just the that feeling. Mm-hmm. I really, really would like to know other people's experiences since, but like I said, like my grandparents don't really talk about it. They're also really religious, and that was uh, kind of off limits to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, Christiane, thank you so much for sharing your stories. Of course. Very, very I'm interesting. Just... Very, very interesting. When we get some some international stories here and there, it's just like uh, I feel like it peppers the show with a little a little <laughs> different flavors. Very nice, very nice. Yeah. So uh, the, you told us about the one creature from Nicaraguan folklore. Can you mm-hmm. you got any more you can tell us about? Maybe one more. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the segue is my favorite one. Which there's actually some more interesting stuff about that. It's kind of like like I said, like Skinwalker kind of thing, mm-hmm. but um, she is supposed to be just a regular woman um, who can turn into that at will. I want to say there's some stuff about her taking off her human skin and storing it in a gourd or something similar under a tree and then preys on men at night. Wow. Uh, if, yeah, drunk men in particular. How was that spelled? Segua, it's spelled C-E-G-U-A. Um, there's really cool costumes 
during this one thing that's kind of like Halloween, kind of not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Awisatis, and they celebrate it in one particular region of town, which is or region of the country, which is not where I'm from. But um, I'll send you a link to it. It's really cool stuff. This is like a, like a folk mumming event, like people go around yeah. in costume. Yeah, it's great. Is people it, do really really cool costumes of it. Is it associated with a particular saint or something like that? Or uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I no have worries. to look it up, but I know it is kind of like a syncretic thing. I know it had its origins because it's in a, a a native community, or mm-hmm. and I know it had its origin in you know something pre-Columbian, something Nahuatl, and it was, I guess, made a religious thing at right. some point. Right. Yeah. Like stuff was. Uh, then there's couple other like local legends there is the Calejo which I feel like there's some other stuff like it in other cultures but I don't recall um, the Calejo there's two of them they're two big dogs they're two big spectral dogs one is white and one is black oh neat uh, yeah it's different I guess depending on who tells it to you because I've heard some versions that say that the white Calejo is the good one and the black Calejo is the evil one and then I've heard, you know, the black one will attack you and the white one will, like, protect you and guide you if you run into them. But then I've heard other people say that if you encounter any of them, then they will drive you crazy. Like, just seeing them will drive you mad. Right. So, there's that, and I'm trying to think. There's the Carreta Nagua, which is a pretty cool one. It's it's not much about it that I can remember, but the Carreta Nagua is a weird, like, ghostly cart. It is an ox-drawn cart. And the oxen are skeletons. And I think the man who drives it is also a skeleton. And it's also one of those things where you hear different things about what happens if you see it, but a lot of them end up in madness or death or mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's that's this kind of folklore all over the world. If you see it, oftentimes it's, you know, it's, it's a harbinger of some sort of misfortune or doom. Yeah, I never hear anything good about it. But uh, oh no, those are so neat. The the image of the uh, skeletal ox is very very powerful. That's very very interesting. It's great. There's um the book I had as a kid. Like any like artistic depictions of it have been just it, it sticks with you. It's a powerful image. Mm-hmm. Is folklore pretty strong there? Is it still pretty you know close to the surface? It absolutely is. There's like so many traditions that. Even people like my family who are super religious and don't like to participate in, just participate in. I remember there's uh, some kind of, I guess me now would call it an incantation, but it's not. No one really thinks of it that way. That my grandma would repeat every time she saw a snake. She's terrified of them. Stuff like that. Or people take evil eye pretty seriously. Mm -hmm. Not everyone, but a lot of people do. It's it's very, very, like you said, close to the surface still. It's such a part of these different cultures. And and as much as it seems like different, the, the thing that excites me is, is it's so much the same. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, the black dog comes up everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I know of tales of, like, you know, the black dog with the white dog. That's a, you know, a cool little addition. But, you know, obviously the black dog folklore is it's everywhere. You know, we have similar things. I'm sure there's a big hairy monster down there as well. Of some sort. Yeah, there actually is. That you don't 
hear that much about, but uh, it's called Monomico, which I don't know exactly what that means. But yeah, big, uh, like, supernatural kind of monkey. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. Christiane had no idea I was going to ask her about folklore, so I really put her on the spot <laughs> with that. So, so you did wonderfully. I, I wish I were a little bit uh, more prepared because it is really, really cool. Nicaraguan folklore is wonderful. Um, well, well, maybe we can have you back and talk about it some more at some point. Sure, yeah, I'd love that. That'd be awesome. Well, thanks for sharing your stories tonight. Of course. I appreciate the interview. I'm a big fan of the podcast and your music. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you've been paying attention to the past few episodes, at the end we tagged on voicemail messages that we received. Some of them have just been weird, odd little messages. Some of them have been encounters. It's something I'd like to keep tagging on to the end of every episode, but we didn't get a voicemail this week. If you have a short encounter or a short message you'd like to leave us, you can leave a voicemail for us at 717-347-8554. Again, that number is 717-347-8554. We will be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Conspiranormal Podcast proudly presents... The Strange Realities Conference. Strange Realities. Come join us for one day of presentations on the paranormal with live music at night featuring Tim Banal, The Rise and Fall of the Flat Earth Theory. Joshua Kutchin. Alien Hybrid Lore. Joe Damari. Pushing the limits of reality. Guy Malone. Roswell 1947. What really happened? Timothy Renner. Pennsylvania Wildman. And added to the lineup, Mark Anthony Wyatt. Cornish Legends and UFO Sightings. Zach Hunt. A presentation of his book on Rapture. Followed by a live recording of the Conspiranormal Podcast. More speakers and music acts to be announced. October 19, 2019, SIR National. Tickets and info at www.strangerealitiesconference.com. $40 at the door, $30 pre-sale. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. Go to StoneBreath.BandCamp.com for more.
We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. You can also join the Strange Familiars Gathering group on Facebook. And we are on Instagram, at strangefamiliars.
is a long time ago.